Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Okay, we have it now, so you can spare your voice. It said, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. Let's go back to the verse 1. It's saying, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Those who always debate as to whether this word is crowd or cloud, this is clarification for you. Amen. So that you are not mistaken to be somebody coming from a certain part of this country. <laughs> Encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Somebody say every weight. So the question we ask is, who make up this cloud of witnesses that we are talking about? If we will go back, which we don't have the time to do, and we go to Hebrews chapter 11, we'll realize that Hebrews chapter 11 is like the hall of fame of the faith. It names all the great fathers and all the great patriarchs of the faith. And it celebrates them for the, their, their acts of faith and the things that they did. Now, if a verse starts with wherefore or therefore, then it means it's not, it's not a very common thing for a sentence to start with therefore or wherefore. Most of the time, those things come in the middle somewhere to join two sentences together. What I'm trying to say to you is that there is a link between Hebrews chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible originally was written as, it's like the books were written as manuscripts. They had to be divided into chapters and verses for the purposes of reference and for memorization. Hallelujah. So they wrote it, it was just written. The letter of Paul to the, the church in Corinth, the first letter, it was one letter, one continuous letter. But Without the verses and the chapters, it will mean you have to memorize the whole of the, of the chapter, which many people cannot do. So it was divided into chapters and verses for the purpose of reference and for the purpose of memorization. But it is all one continuous manuscript. So there is a link between Hebrews chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 12. So who are this, who, who make up this cloud of witnesses? I almost said crowd myself. <laughs> cloud of witnesses now these are people who were in the faith and have departed to be with the Lord these are people who were Christians born again Christians people who were, 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 were children of God who have died and have gone to be with the Lord and the fact that the Bible calls them witnesses means that God gives them some insights in law, when you talk about somebody as a witness to a case, it means the person has some insight into the case that can help. Either he was like a, an eyewitness or, or he, he or she knows something about the case. Hallelujah. 
So if we are calling these people witnesses, what it means is that God actually gives them insight into things that are happening on earth and in people's lives. To what extent God gives them that insight, I cannot tell. But we know that God gives them some insight. Hallelujah. Because they are called witnesses. So we are encompassed around by a great cloud of witnesses. What this means is that anything that you are doing, apart from God seeing you, and the angels that God has given to surround you, because the Bible says the angels of the Lord surround or encamp around them that love him. The cloud of witnesses are also witnesses to the things that you do. Hallelujah. So there's nothing you do that you think, I'm doing it alone. It's just me, myself, and I. As I keep saying, it's like you are in the middle, the center circle of a grassball stadium with the whole crowd watching you and you are doing it. Amen. Amen. So they are watching us. What are they watching us doing? They are watching us run a race. Everybody has a race that has been set before him. This journey is a race. Everybody has a race that has been set before him. Now, there is something peculiar about this race that we are running. The race is not a race against fellow human beings. Hallelujah. Sometimes you think every race must be against somebody. But even in sports, we have races that are against time. It's just you alone running, but you are running against time. There are times that all you are running against are obstacles. If you've watched skiing, some of those who ski, it's just one person skiing, but there are some obstacles and he or she has to meander his way through and all of that. So it's not every race that is against a fellow human being. As I always say, Christianity is not a race with man, but a walk with God. Christianity is not a race with man, but a walk with God. Christianity is not a race with man, but a walk with God. And if you come and say, run with patience the race that is set before us. Everybody has a peculiar race that is set before me. Your race course is different from my race course. My race course may have 12 sharp bends and 14 obstacles. Yours may have three sharp bends and one or two obstacles. Our races are not the same. That is why in this race, you are not supposed to look up onto your fellow human being or look onto Moses or look unto Elijah, or look unto Abraham, or look unto any of the people that have been mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as the heroes of the faith. But the Bible is telling us that we should look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Hallelujah. And this race is such that if you start, you must try to finish it. Starting is very easy. Starting anything is easy. Finishing is the real deal. Hallelujah. It's easy to start. It's easy to start a business, but sustaining it is the real deal. It's easy to start a ministry, but sustaining it is the real deal. So as for starting, it's easy. It is the finishing that matters. And I pray that whatever you start in your life, the Lord will give you the grace to finish it. When it comes to business, when the fast food business boomed in Ghana, sometime I think in the 90s, Oxford Street, they had a lot of these things. Those of you who are a little old, how many of you know Dolly's? There was one called Dolly's, one of the fast food joints. Hey, uh, uh, you know Dolly's? I see. Dolly's was a big thing in those days. 
At a point in time, another one came called Steers. How many of you remember Steers? And then Nando's. How many of you remember Nando's? They've all been on that street before. But as we speak now, where is Dolly's? Where is Nando's? Where is Steers? Starting is easy, but finishing is the real deal. When Steers, Nando's, and Dolly's were there, Papa was there. But as we are speaking, Papa is still standing. I pray for a Papa anointing for you. When the others are falling by the wayside, may you still be standing and running and walking. There was a time there was this fruit drink called Refresh. How many of you ever drank some? After now, I don't understand how Refresh collapsed. Because if I compare Refresh to Calipo, the Calipo that we are drinking now, I mean, Calipo is like a joke. It's like water that they have colored and put sugar inside. Refresh was a very, very powerful drink. But as we speak now, Refresh is off the market. What happened, I don't know. But starting is easy. Finishing is the real deal. Even in ministry, that some people, I'm sure two, three, four years ago, they were all over the place. You could hear their names everywhere, doing all kinds of things. Now, you don't hear their name. One scandal or the other has overtaken them and their ministries have gone into oblivion. Starting is easy, but finishing is the real deal. Two young men God raised in the 40s and the 30s. One of them was called Billy Graham, the other called Charles Templeton. And in those days, Charles Templeton was actually considered as being more gifted than Billy Graham. Charles Templeton could speak. He was an evangelist just like Billy Graham, very young people, they were all in their 20s. He could speak. The man could pull crowds. They said one time he went to hold a crusade in a certain town. The town's population was 120,000 people, and his crusade was attended by 91,000 people. That means about three quarters of the town actually gravitated towards the venue to come and listen to him. Many souls were won, a lot of young people were attracted to his ministry. He was on TV. I mean, a Charles Temple thing was the big deal in those days. And his friend was Billy Graham. Billy Graham was also preaching. But everybody saw clearly that Charles Temple thing was more gifted than Billy Graham. Years into the ministry, Charles Templeton started doubting certain things in the Bible. In fact, his main problem was with the book of Genesis because he said the creation story doesn't tie in with science. So he started reading all kinds of books, all kinds of things, asking all sorts of questions and getting answers from the wrong sources and all of that. The long and short is that at a point in time, Charles Templeton decided that it's not worth following Christianity, so he gave up Christianity, gave up the ministry, and he was just there, like that. If you read his autobiography, the title of the autobiography is Why I Said Goodbye to God. He believes this Christianity thing is not, it's not, it's not worth following, because he allows some mental strongholds to enter his head. But look at Billy Graham, who was considered less gifted than him, but after now that Billy Graham is approaching 100 years, he's still a respected father in the Christian community. He is one of those people that is liked everywhere he goes. Every president of the United States, when they are inaugurating him, it's Billy Graham who comes and comes to pray for him. Just that nowadays he's too old to walk. So they, they call other people to go and do the prayers. Even as Bishop went to pray in the, at the, one of the services, the inauguration services. That is life. 
It's easy to start. But the finishing is the real matter. I pray that God will give you finishing power. Five years from now, if I meet you, will you still be jumping for God? Will you still be excited about the things of the Spirit? Will you still be hungry for God? Ten years from now, will you still be hungry for God? A lot of us, when we get what pushes us to God, and that thing is done, it's like our passion just goes away. You see, it's like a prodigal son. The prodigal son's problem, or his fault, wasn't the fact that he demanded his inheritance. That's not the problem. Because the inheritance was rightfully his. It's, it's, it's something that belonged to him. So he had every right to demand his inheritance. So that wasn't the problem with the pro- prodigal son. So what was the problem with the prodigal son? His problem was the fact that after he got his inheritance, which was rightfully his, he moved away from the sphere of influence of his father. That was his real problem. He could have collected the inheritance and still stayed around the father and still had still been under the influence of the father. He wouldn't have gone around messing up with prostitutes and doing all kinds of things for him to become penniless. And that is how a lot of us are. There may be something that brought you to church. Maybe you want to marry. Maybe you want a job. Maybe you want something. The moment and these things are, are, are right, they are rightfully ours. It's our inheritance as children of God to live a good life, to be healthy, to, 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 to marry, to have a happy home, and all of those. It's our inheritance as children of God. So demanding it from God is not a problem. But if you get your inheritance and you move outside the sphere of influence, the influence of God, that is when it becomes a problem. So, oh, you want to finish medical school. The moment the ER comes in front of your name, I'm too busy for work, for, for church. In a lot of singing groups in churches, it's like an unspoken rule that the ladies, the moment you marry, you have graduated from the singing ministry. It's an unspoken rule. But you hardly find women wearing rings actually singing. Most of the time it's the young, young people who are trusting God and believing God and, you know, praying for breakthroughs. They are the ones that are singing. It's as if the wedding ceremony is a graduation ceremony out of the singing ministry. But I pray that those of you who stand here in the morning, five years from now, when you are wearing your ring, you will still be here. And you see, at that time, you will not, you will not hold the mic with your right hand, you hold it with the left. So we can see the ring. <laughs> Hallelujah. So starting is easy. But finishing is not really easy. There's this video of one of the Olympic Games, I've forgotten which year. There was this guy who had trained for four years for the Olympic Games. He managed to qualify for the Olympic Games. The game started, he managed to get to the final. His father was his coach, one black American like that. His father was his coach. He got to the final. This was like the moment of his life, the, the time he had been dreaming of his whole life. They said, on your marks, get set, go. They started the race. By the time he got to the middle, his muscles pulled. And this one wasn't like a marathon where sprints. So if you slow down, you are finished. That's it. So all the rest of the people came to pass him. They crossed the line. And this gentleman amidst tears and wailing. His doctor was calling him to come off the track because if he continues to walk, 
he's aggravating the injury. He said, no way. I have trained for years for this thing. I am definitely going to cross the line. So this gentleman started hopping on one foot. Started hopping on one foot, crying in pain. The pain of the, of the muscle pulling and the pain of having lost the race after all that preparation. Kept going, kept going, kept going. And his father came out of the crowd and held him and the two of them hobbled and by the time they were getting to the finish line the entire stadium was on their feet people were in tears it was a strong message to the world that it doesn't matter how you cross the line but make sure at the end of the day you cross it if it will mean hopping over the line hop over the line if it will mean crawling over the line crawl over the line because this race we are running, there may be times that the ground will be slippery and you will fall. But when you fall, get up, stand up again. Strength is not in not falling. Strength is the ability to rise up after you are falling. That is when you show real strength. The Bible says seven times the righteous man shall fall and seven times he shall rise up again. Make sure you finish. Let's go back to the Hebrews 12, 1. The best one. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Now, here, the weights have been separated from the sin. That means the weights are different from the sin. Hallelujah. There are sins in our lives and there are weights in our lives. And the weights are not necessarily sin. So there are those things that you have in your life that are making you too heavy to be able to run this race. Some people are too heavy to run the race. Can you imagine somebody going to run a race, Olympic Games race, and the person is dressed like me, wearing a suit, shoes, tie. You are last. You'll be last even before the race starts. Because you are too heavy, you are carrying excess baggage. If you will see the athletes on TV, they are very scantily dressed. Most of the time, the material they use for their clothes are even so light. It's because they don't need any excess weight. Can you imagine somebody going to run a race and the person is dressed in kete? And you are wearing, uh, what do they call that shoe? Uh, it's very heavy. That's if you put your foot inside. Very, you can't even lift your foot. You're wearing that one and wearing gold bundles from your wrist up to your elbow. And you decide that you're a royal priesthood, so you put a crown on your head. By the time you go down and they say on your mat, get set, by the time you have lifted the weight and you are up, the race is over. But a lot of us, we are racing in this race of life and that is how we are looking. Because we have carried excess baggage, all kinds of unnecessary things. Things that may not necessarily qualify as sin, but we are carrying them and they are slowing us down. But I pray that today somebody will resolve to lose weight. Yeah. Tell somebody it's time to lose weight. Yeah. Tell another person it's time to lose weight. Yeah. Many of us are obese. We are obese. Obese. We've not prepared ourselves adequately for the race. Athletes train to lose weight, to be in shape. People jog to get rid of excess weight. So what are these weights 
that can prevent you from running the race and finishing. These ways can be one, people. Everybody say people. And these ways can be attitudes. Say attitudes. And as I said, the ways have been separated from the sins, so these ways we are talking about are not necessarily sin. They are not necessarily sinful things. Most of the time, there are these great things, debatable things, oh, is this right, is this wrong, those things that are not clearly, explicitly defined in the Bible. It can be people, and it can be attitudes. So what are these people that are ways that we must get rid of? First of all, as a believer, it's not everybody who must be your friend. Not everybody must be your friend. Never underestimate the influence of interacting with people. You pick up things, pick up attitudes, and you're not even aware of it. The way you talk can change just by interacting with somebody. They use certain terms and unconsciously, you just start using those terms too. They say, yeah, man. So everything is a yeah, man. Oh, Charlie. Anything is a oh, Charlie. Now the new one is my God, my God, my God. So everything you start saying. And it's not like you plan to start saying these things, but it just happens. There's something we call transference of spirit. Everybody say transference of spirit. Mind you, I didn't say transference of demons. Even though that one too can happen at a certain level. Transference of spirit. You pick up things from people and you don't even realize you are picking the things up. So the question is, who are your friends? Ask the person sitting next to you, who are your friends? Ask another person, who are your friends? You can't say you are a born again believer and your best friend is an unbeliever. It's not possible. You can have an unbeliever as a friend, but you can't have a best friend as an unbeliever. You can't have an unbeliever as a beloved. It is not allowed. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Finish. Simple. No qualms about that. It is explicitly stated. I keep telling people, the moment you are living and you say yes to an unbeliever, at that very moment, the devil becomes your father-in-law. Because if you are children of God, unbelievers are children of the devil. That's what the Bible calls them. So the devil becomes your, is it a soul, right? A soul, a soul colorful, born some. <laughs> you must be wary of who you keep around you because you can be influenced. And you see, some of the influences manifest immediately. There are others that will manifest later in life. This thing called transference of spirit. It doesn't always manifest immediately, it's like immediately come, then you start seeing the effects of the, of the influence of the person upon your life. No. Some of them, it's, it's like they are like time bombs. They will wait and manifest at the wrong time. Look at Lot's daughters. They were in an atmosphere that was pregnant with sexual perversion. I'm sure the ladies of Sodom and Gomorrah, some of them were their friends. They used to go to fetch water at the river with them. Probably if they were schools those days, they used to attend school with them. They were interacting with them, all kinds of things. But you see, while they were in Sodom and Gomorrah, they never exhibited the permission. But you see, contact with a certain kind of people, as I said, can cause you to be contaminated. But the contamination may not show immediately. 
While they were in Sodom and Gomorrah, they never exhibited any signs of being contaminated. How do I know that? There was a day when the angels of the Lord came to visit their father. And the homosexuals in Sodom and Gomorrah said, these my men are very fine, so give them to us and let us lie with them. And the father said, no, I can't do that. So instead, I have three daughters who are virgins. How the father could be sure they were virgins, it's only God knows. But he was a man of God, so he probably knew by the spirit that they were virgins. He said, they are virgins. Not known by any man. If you like, I'd rather give them to you. So while they were in Sodom and Gomorrah, if we should take Lot's word for it, in the midst of all the perversion and everything, they never showed signs of having been contaminated. But I believe they had friends in Sodom and Gomorrah. They had people they used to move with. They had people they used to do things with. But later, that's why I said the thing can be like a time bomb. It just manifests later. Later on, how did they lose their virginity? They gave their father alcohol to drink. The man got drunk, and the three of them jumped on him in tents and slept with him. Incest, sexual perversion. I believe the contamination came from Sodom and Gomorrah. It just manifested later. That's why you must pray certain prayers. Certain contaminations, you must you must kill them before they manifest. It's like it's like a, 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 a tree that is growing and it will blossom at the wrong time. Sexual perversion, the incest, they slap with their own father. There's a story of a, a, a young lady, a case that I got involved in some many years ago. This lady said while she was in secondary school, SS, her roommate happened to be a lesbian and the girl had been trying to introduce her to it, trying to introduce her to it, but she resisted all those years. But they were together in the room, they used to eat together, they used to learn together and everything. That's why I said, you see, contact can bring contamination. Eat together, do all kinds of things, they were friends, everything. But she said, for this lesbian thing, I'm not going to do it. Three years, they stayed in the same room. Why she finished SHS? And she went home. The one year that she stayed at home, she started a lesbian relationship with her own cousin. The contamination took place in that room, in the secondary school. But it never manifested immediately. It took years before it manifested. That is why even now, you should start praying for your children and who they will be in class with in the future. Oh yes, we are Christians, so we can determine those things now. A lot of people are what they are now because of the people they associated with some time ago. Boys school, some people go to a room and they are with weed smokers. They smoke the thing to their nose. Ah, I guess when time you say no. Now I want to get it into my body through my mouth. I've been inhaling it for a long time. Now I want to get it through my mouth. They start smoking. You are in a room with a homosexual. He starts tempting you, tempting you, tempting you. One day you give in, and it's a spirit. It just enters you like that. That is why we need to pray for the children and determine those things in the spirit before those times come. Because your children are sitting down right now. They are in your lungs. They are in your lungs. A lot of contamination can take place through associating with the wrong people. When you go to the go and pray. Go and reverse every contamination that you have exposed yourself to. 
Because trust me, there are some of them that are waiting to manifest at the wrong time. Somebody said, if you have a spirit of adultery, it may not manifest until you get married. Then suddenly, disaster for all kinds of women comes into you. So one category of people we must avoid and, and, and lose as weight. You see, I'm not saying as Christians you should keep to yourselves and, and not interact with those in the world. How would you win them if you don't interact with them? But there's something we call contact without contamination. Somebody say, contact without contamination. There's a level of contact you can have. There's a level of intimacy you can have. So one, ungodly people. Avoid ungodly people. Psalm 1 verse 1. Give me Psalm 1 verse 1. They can be acquaintances, but they can't be friends. Wherefore, seeing we also are compact, sorry, blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Next. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law that he meditates day and night. Next. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He said we shouldn't, we shouldn't be in the counsel of the ungodly. There are some people you sit with them, the kind of things you end up talking about, you'll be surprised. They will criticize every man of God in the book. I was warning some people recently, look, you have to be careful about talking about men of God. It is true, there are false prophets. There are a lot of false prophets. But it's not every man of God that is a false prophet. Me, I'm not a false prophet. <laughs> Hallelujah. If I'm a false prophet and you are sitting here, then you too, there's a problem with you. <laughs> so we must be careful of what we say. God has a way of dealing with the servants. God has a way of dealing with the servants. Look at Moses. He broke the law himself, went to marry somebody he wasn't supposed to marry. Miriam had every right to talk against him. After all, I'm your big sister. When you were a baby, wasn't that the one changing your diapers? You were wooing around that today you say you're a prophet. He told him, look, you're not the only one God speaks to. We too. The prophet is so you're a movie. Aaron too, big brother. They came together, criticized the man of God. All of a sudden, leprosy on Miriam like that. Ask yourself, why is it that Aaron was fed the leprosy? They both criticized though. You see, God is very biased when it comes to his servants. It was the cloak of the priesthood that protected him. Because in the law, once you get leprosy, you are disqualified from being a priest. So his, his position as a man of God, even shielded him from punishment. This is bias, but that is how God chooses to do his things. How can Moses, you are the custodian of the law, the one God gave the law to, and you went and married somebody you're not supposed to marry. You have every right to criticize him. She had every right to even lash him as a big sister. But she ended up with leprosy. That's it. God has his way of dealing with his servant. This thing about anything you see on TV, every miracle, no, no this one, there, yeah, it's fake. If you don't have the ability to discern between fake and, and genuine miracles, just keep quiet. 
Most people decide that it is fake when the miracle is very spectacular. In other words, you are trying to tell me that Satan has more spectacular skills than God. How can the creature be greater than the creator? Just because the method that was used to work the miracle is unconventional. It's a method you are not used to. You are used to oil being poured. But the man of God came and decided that I will push you. And your sickness too will be pushed away in the realm of the spirit. <laughs> hey! This one. Occultism. If we use the methods, trust me, we will miss it all the time. Because sometimes God can use very strange ways of doing things. People, snakes were biting people and God told Moses, erect a snake. For me and you, snake is devil, straight. Snake is the devil. But later we are told in the New Testament that as the bronze pole in the desert, in the same way the Son of Man shall be lifted up. That means that bronze pole on the snake, that, that bronze serpent was actually a foreshadow of Christ. So Christ was being represented by a snake. I'm sure your skin is even creeping. Hey, Jesus, ah, snake. And I keep telling people, that is why me, I don't believe in stereotype interpretation of dreams. That this animal represents this and this and that. Snake in Genesis was Satan. But later it's representing Jesus. The devil is a lion. Jesus too is a lion of Judah. So if you see a lion in the dream, ask God for discernment. Which lion are this? interpretation. My favorite one is that the monkey represents poverty. As a monkey, it can't be prosperity. <laughs> so don't sit in the seat of the scornful. There are some people, they sit, all they do is to tease people and talk and jest and do all kinds of things. In Ephesians, the Bible talks against cause joking, cause jesting. Some people, you joke with everything. Everything is a joke. Serious matters, you joke with it. The Bible speaks against it. Cause, just and avoid it. And the Bible also says that have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead do what? Expose them. Somebody said, hey, then it means if I see somebody cheating in exams, I have to report. Interpret that scripture the way you want to interpret it. <laughs> exposing also means preaching against it. It's also a way of exposing it. Have nothing to do with the unfortunate work of darkness, but instead expose. Expose them. Doesn't mean you should go and stand in front of somebody and point your finger, judgmental, thou child of the devil. <laughs> We must watch the company we keep. You must avoid the company of gossips. That's another group of people. They are always dead weight. Gossips. If you are with somebody who likes gossiping a lot, avoid the person. These people have the latest filler in town all the time. They are like BBC, CNN, and GTV combined. Every information from any part of the world. Ask them. And they are like natural publicity tools. If you want to publicize something, just inoculate their system with it. It will spread like wildfire. Gossips. And you see, even now with technology, 
Many of us have become gossips, but we don't know it. Any information you receive, WhatsApp, no, forward, 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 forward. With technology, you are a more effective gossip than the one who calls people and says, have you heard? Written gossip, technological gossiping. Forward, forward. You can't even verify the information. And it's a very dangerous thing. Look, there have been times we've heard people have died. The information spread like wildfire. This person says, the next morning, the person comes on, oh, I'm alive, oh. My enemies want me dead. It's because the moment we hear something, we are eager to send the information. You see, that is something you shouldn't joke with. You never know what the news of somebody's death can do to somebody. The first time I saw somebody die in front of me in a hospital, that was first clinical year. Medical block, 15 year old boy, he just died like that. When the boy died, the mother had gone to buy something. When the mother came down, the next mention, this woman collapsed and hit her head on the ground like that. We have to struggle to resuscitate her. She was going to follow him. There are some people who just love spreading news. I pray that you will not be one of them. Gossips also have a way of creating images of people in your mind that may not be necessarily true. Why? Because a gossip will always want his gossip to be nice. So they get information, they add sugar, they add pepper, they add spices, they add ginger to make it nice and palatable. So most of the time what they are telling you is not the original. They have garnished it and made it look nice. The gossips always their status. Hashtag things are happening. <laughs> Hashtag in some well. Me to tell you, hashtag you are a gossip. Hashtag mind your own business. Gossips, you must avoid gossips. Another group of people, another group of people you must avoid, they are discouragers. There are some people who can discourage you. Oh, you tell them this business, I want to start this business. Say, sure. Where did my see before? I tell you, older generation people that you expect to inspire, oh, go ahead and do it. This, that, 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 that. Oh, this thing. So so and so tried it, it didn't work. So so and so tried it, it didn't work. So so and so tried it, it didn't work. Who you you think small boy like you can my friend find somewhere and sit? Be humble, be humble. We tell you be humble. When you have lofty ideas and lofty dreams, be humble. Somebody said he told this pastor that he is determined to break the seven-hour barrier in prayer. He said, Why don't you have anything doing in life? Spend seven hours praying. This is counterproductive. Don't do such things. You must stay away from discouragers. The devil uses people to minister discouragement. And I pray that you will not be one of those people. Amen. Even when, when, when we are preaching here, the devil can use people to minister discouragement by their faces they make. Some people, their faces stone hard like that. So I see the word is not entering their heart. Smile, 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 smile. <laughs> Even if you are not understanding, nod, nod, nod. It's an encouragement to the preacher.
So these three groups of people, they are more, but time will not allow me. Now, let me jump to attitudes and habits. Now, addictions can be weights. Addictions can be weights. And when I talk about addictions, I'm not necessarily talking about drugs, heroin, cocaine, and those ones. I don't talk about them because I don't think any of you is an addict, a, a drug addict here. All drug addicts, raise your hands, let's deliver you right now. <laughs> but there are little, little things like theories. Those series, what are the current ones? I don't remember the last time I watched it. What are the current series that we've been watching? Pardon? Game of Thrones, exactly. That thing was so, uh, some season be that, I think they ended on a note that everybody was like, how can they end like that? And the whole world was talking about it. It's like, hey! Serious. It can be a weight in your life. You get so addicted to it, the time you spend. I remember when 24 came. I was a house officer then. Those days when you pass in front of my room, all you hear is, pay, pay, pay. Those of you who have got 24 before, when they are counting the time, pay. Pay, pay. That's what you hear in my room. I was on leave. I could spend about 16 hours in the day just watching the thing. By the time I started, I started the season one. By the time I got to the middle of season one, I was looking for season two. And you know how I got interested in it. One of my friends, the house officer, who had just got married, he came from his honeymoon and told me he made a big mistake. What was that mistake? He took 24 with him. Yeah, so they took 24 with, with them for the honeymoon. They spent all the time watching 24. And I was like, if somebody can watch something instead of honeymoon, then this thing must be very, very powerful. I went and looked for the CD. And I said, ah, yeah, I understand. By the time I was in the middle of, by the 12th hour of season one, I was looking for season two. I spent my leave and I watched 24, 24, 24 like that. Fiction, something somebody sat in his house and just talked about. And you are so engrossed about it. Sometimes we watch movies and then people are even crying and you are so emotional. This is just somebody playing. It's not real. There was a time, me, football was a serious weight in my life. When I look back, I'm like, hey, God has delivered me. The weights have been cut off. Oh, those days, I will read every sports paper. The period between finishing secondary school and then university. Oh. When I wake up in the morning, there was this newsstand close to my house. I just walked there, all the newspapers. And my team was a grand house of hope. <laughs> it's, it's not now that when you ask somebody what's your team, they mention Manchester United. And this, in those days, the, the Ghanaian League was nice. Say Kotoko, house, the Busina Dwarfs. Those kind of things. Those were the teams. Now everybody tells Tottenham Hotspur. I'll go to the stand, buy, buy all the, what do you call it? Newspapers. I could have 10 newspapers at once. And I could, I could read all the 10 in one hour. And then I'll open to the radio. I knew when all the FM stations had their sports programs. I'll listen one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. Sunday, after church, straight to Accra Sports Stadium. Yes, it was that bad. I would pick, I was, and it's not like I was living in a crowd or Oshu near the stadium, in Tema. I would hop into a car, straight to the stadium, go and sit down, waiting for House of Hope players to jump onto the field, like that. One day, House was playing against some 
North African team in the African Champions League. And I had meant the match. I got there, sat down, expectation, and the people came and beat us. And on top of it too, it rained. So I was walking out of the stadium, rain was beating me, my face was sad. Some truck truck came to pass. And somebody moved, removed the head. I was like, oh, I like, where the ball? You see, the person was just saying something, but the words hit my face. I saw and I was like, look at me, standing in the rain, sad. The people who played the ball, the winning bonus, I'm not going to get a quarter out of it. And I'm just worrying myself like that. I was like, no, this thing has to stop. It was a gradual process, not like immediately I stopped, but it reduced and reduced and reduced. My wife would bear witness with me, even when we got married, oh, we used to have a lot of, she used to fight with me in newspapers. Hey, hey, newspaper. Ask her the last time she saw newspapers. The weight is gone. Hallelujah. It's gone. Some of you, <laughs> Whatever you would do to watch Kukumbakia, you watch it. And I've come to realize it's very addictive because me, I, I can see it in my house. <laughs> to the extent that some people pray that I don't come home before a certain time. But when I come, the channel will change. <laughs> I saw this video on YouTube. I wanted them to, to, to show it to you. An old lady. Watching Kukumbagia. She was standing in front of the, the TV like this. Fiapa! Fiapa! Mr. Onimbra, 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 Jano, Jano, Jano. I was like, hey! This is an entered the woman and she's behaving as if it's real. Jano, Jano, Fiap, Fiap. Like you could see the seriousness on their face. And the people behind, those who were filming were just laughing. The Bible says all things are lawful but all things are not expedient. Expedient means profitable. It says, all things are lawful, but I shall not be brought under the power of any. I pray that you will not be brought under the power of any addition. I'm not saying Kumkumbagia is bad, but don't let it come between you and your growth in God. Hallelujah. Shall we stand to our feet?